Our gospel this morning is from St. Matthew, chapter 22, verses 1 through 14, and can be found on page 1534 in your pew Bible. Jesus spoke to them, and again, in parables, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a king who prepared a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his servants to those who had been invited to the banquet to tell them to come, but they refused to come. Then he sent some more servants, and he said, Tell those who have been invited that I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been butchered, and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they paid no attention, and they went off, one to his field, another to his business. The rest seized his servants. They mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged, and he sent his army, and he destroyed those murderers, and they burned their city. Then he said to his servants, The wedding banquet is ready, but those I invited did not deserve to come. So go to the street corners and invite to the banquet anyone that you find. And so the servants went out into the streets, and they gathered all the people that they could find, the bad as well as the good. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man. There was a man there who was not wearing wedding clothes. And he asked, how? How did you get in here without wedding clothes, friend? And the man was speechless. And the king told the attendants, tie him hand and foot and throw him outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are chosen, but few, excuse me, many are called, but few are chosen. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. You may be seated. Will you pray with me? May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Kind of a harsh story that we just read. Many years ago, probably around 1994, Tracy will let me know, if I got it right or wrong or not, but I think it was around 1994. Before Tracy and I had boys, we went on a vacation to Hawaii, and we were staying uh, on the island of Maui, and then we went across over to the island of Lanai. And before we left California, we were briefed by 
friends who had been there, experienced it. We were briefed on where to dine and where to play golf, the sights to see while we were there. And both Tracy and I were super uber excited to stay at a place called The Lodge at Coele. This was a newly transformed property on the island of Lanai. It had a world-class golf course. Tracy was thrilled about that. Not, but it was designed by Jack Nicholas, and it was really quite something else. And one of the tips that we got from our friends prior to traveling was that I would need a coat and a tie to dine at the lodge. And you know, growing up during the 60s, um, whenever there was a formal occasion or dining or work or whatever, it was not unusual. I was quite used to seeing that men wore coats and ties. Even I did on occasion if we went over to the city you know, to dine out or to go to church or some men who worked in the city. They had to wear a coat and tie every day. Men were, back in those days, what you called properly dressed. And I'm grateful that I was prepared when I went over to the island because we witnessed at the lodge each night at least one guy that didn't get the memo. And as he would walk through the doors into the Grand Lodge main room, a Mater D would greet the dress code violator, and he would whisk him away to a coat room where he would provide him with an ill-fitting coat and a mismatched tie. And uh, then he would get to return to this vast area uh, that had couches and everything where people would recline and have a drink before they got escorted into the dining room. It was all very grand. And uh, I just remember thinking, boy, I'm glad that I didn't have that happen to me. A coat and a tie for the lodge at Coeli to make you presentable for eating at dinner seating. Unfortunately, there are and there were no eternal consequences for those who came to the lodge's dining room improperly dressed. But on the other hand, today, Jesus described a meal in the gospel where the dress code determines your eternal destination. Jesus began his parable by saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a a wedding feast for his son. Now, such a celebration was an opportunity for the king to display his wealth, his power, his influence, his good taste, and his sense of excellence. And even the poorest family in first century Israel, well, they went all out and made sacrifices financially in order to provide the best wedding feast possible. 
And when a king spared no expense, the wedding feast was a once-in-a-lifetime event. And a king even went so far as to provide party clothing for everyone who attended. Get that. These party outfits were not like the one-size-fits-all generic suit and coat that that poor, unsuspecting, underdressed gentleman would find at the lodge. Instead, the king would engage the best fashion houses in Israel to custom design and style so that that would make every guest look their best no matter what. You would arrive at the king's palace in your travel clothes, and the king's servant would take you to a changing room where you would wash up and you would change into a fashion statement that made you look, well, it would make you look like the comedian uh, Billy Crystal would say, do you remember him? He'd say, you look marvelous, baby. You would look marvelous. Stay with me. So one big difference between my trip to the lodge and the trip to the wedding feast in today's gospel is that my clothing had traveled from the mainland in my suitcase and it made me look tacky as it was wrinkled. It made me look tacky compared to the wedding clothing at the feast that we just heard about. And another difference between my outing and Tracy's outing to the lodge was a question of cost. Our meal in 1994 was extraordinarily expensive. It was multiple times more than we could afford or what we should have spent. On the other hand, the people at the wedding feast in today's gospel were the guests of the king. And the king, well, he paid all of the expenses. And since a wedding feast often lasted several days, the king would provide the best lodging for his guests. He would provide the dining hall, the food and the drink, the entertainment, the wedding garments, you see, the king supplied all these things for his guests. It is the king who invites the people to come and enjoy what he has prepared for them. What an excellent picture this is of eternal salvation awaiting for all who believe. It's what we have to look forward to through Jesus the Christ. He has done everything necessary for us to enjoy life with God now and in eternity. You see, we haven't lived a holy, sinless life. We confess that. But Jesus did, and he did it for us. We didn't suffer and die for the sins of the world, but Jesus did. He did it for us. And Jesus was raised from the dead to prove that sin 
was the sin that paid for death was defeated. He wrote a check in his blood for the price of sin, and the check cleared. His resurrection from the dead proves everything. Jesus fulfilled the promise that, made, that God made through his prophet Isaiah. As we read uh, in today's Old Testament lesson, on this mountain the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food, full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. Jesus serves us choice food, the food of peace with God through forgiveness of our sins. He gives us joyous wine of victory over death. And it's all been prepared by him. By him, just as he said on the cross when he proclaimed, it is finished. And it is with his sinless life and his innocent suffering and death that Jesus has prepared the table. The table of salvation. Everything is ready. There's nothing for us to do. We are invited to this feast each and every Sunday. The table is prepared. And soon you will come and you will feast on his body and blood for the forgiveness, for life, and for salvation. Now going back to the story, here's the really, really crazy thing about it. As Jesus told the story, the hearers would have noticed this. The crazy part about the story is that some of the invited guests began to find excuses not to attend the wedding feast of the son of the king. And when the king sent a second invitation, the people who were invited actually abused or even killed some of the servants. Let's think about that. Want to come to a party? No, and I'm going to kill you for asking. Makes no sense. All that these servants wanted to do was invite these people to the most amazing, beneficial feast of all time. They wanted people to receive the full benefit and blessing of this feast. Why would anyone abuse somebody for wanting to give them something good, something wonderful? The truth is, some of the servants ended up dead. And the king considered these acts so terrible that he ordered the destruction of those who turned down his invitation. My goodness, who would be so foolish in real life? Well, the answer to that question becomes clear. It becomes clear when we look at the history of Old Testament Israel. The people of Israel had been invited to this feast all through the Old Testament. For God had promised, all through the Old Testament, he had promised the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior would come. And finally, on that Christmas, he did come. 
But sadly, for the most part, the Jews rejected him, just as the Holy Spirit inspired John to write. In John 1, verses 9 through 11, he said, The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him. Yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. No, his own people, they persecuted, and they killed his servants. And when God himself came into their presence in the person of Jesus the Christ, they rejected and killed him as well. And in doing all of this, they rejected and they dishonored God. Their attitudes, their actions, showed that they were not worthy. Well, that was then. How about now? Well, people now reject the invitation in a very different way today. They are satisfied with the barest outlines of the Christian doctrines. They, they have absolutely no desire to learn more about their Savior. It is as if, as if they work at getting what they think is the minimum recommended amount of Jesus and no more. Perhaps they think, after all, if I know too much about Jesus, if I partake in his gifts every time he invites me, it just won't be as special. How sad. How sad it is that although most people want to go to the eternal feast when they die, they don't want to participate in that eternal feast every week while they are here living on earth. Jesus pointed out another danger in this parable. Maybe you caught it. There was a man. There was a man who turned down the gracious gift of the king's wardrobe. He tried to go to the wedding feast in his own clothing. And here the king had made the services of a fashion consultant available to everyone who had come. He had provided the most attractive, the most fashionable clothing for his guests, and this man turned him down. What an insult. We read that the king ordered the attendants to bind him hand and foot and cast him into the outer darkness in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Anyone think that was a little bit harsh for a dress code violation? Well, God does not want anyone, he doesn't want anyone to be lost. He wants all people to be saved. He invites all people to the feast of the eternal life in his son. The king spares no expense in preparing for the feast. In fact, it costs God the life of his very own son. 
And those who turn down the invitation, those who insist on earning their way into the feast, well, such people offer a great insult to God. To decline God's offer in Jesus Christ is an absolute shameful way to treat him. And there are consequences. Because as Jesus said in John 14, Jesus said this, I am the way and the truth and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through me. For those who are dressed in Christ's righteousness will continue to enjoy the feast. In fact, we do not even need to wait until we leave this world to begin experiencing that feast. In just a few moments, we shall be joining the hosts of heaven at this feast right here. As we come forward and receive a small piece of bread and a sip of wine, well, that's when we shall partake of the life-giving body and blood of our Lord and Savior. For a brief instant, we shall attend the wedding feast of the Lamb who takes away the sin of the world. For a brief instant, we shall see that heaven has already come to earth to dwell with us. And through baptism, Jesus Christ has removed our rags, our wrinkled clothes, and he's replaced them with royal robes of Christ's righteousness. He has dressed us for the feast. He has destroyed our sinful rags with his suffering and death on the cross. He has brought the reign of heaven down to us. The Holy Spirit invites us to the feast through the word and through the sacrament. So, come. The wedding feast of the Lamb is ready. John recorded in his revelation, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. In the name of Jesus, amen.